0: Hi, welcome to episode two of Carla and Brad talk about Kraut Rock. I'm Carla.
1: We are back. <laughs> We're
0: back. I'm Brad. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> and who are we talking about today?
1: We're talking about Noi today. And I'm kind of beside myself about it because I love Noi. That might be my favorite band that I've discovered on this odyssey over the last few months
0: yeah same i think we were excited to jump right into noi very quickly (laughs) yeah (laughs) on this journey
1: So I actually heard Noise 75 a few years ago. It was on that 1,001 albums list, and so I went out and grabbed it and played it and loved it. And sometime afterward, I was in London, and there aren't record stores there anymore. It used to be there was the Tower, the HMV. There is a, I think it was an HMV, like the last holdout on Oxford Street. Mm -hmm. And it's like upstairs. It used to be like two or three floors. Now maybe it's one. And I got Noi 2 on CD for five pounds, five pounds, 99, which is probably like the full price of a CD, but it felt like a deal, you know?
0: Right, right.
1: So I, I've had that and I've loved it, but I now I'm like up into my neck in it.
0: Well, and now it's even more interesting to hear it knowing as we'll talk about, you know, what? sorry, Lula's, <laughs> and now she's going to bark. <laughs> Our special guest, Lula the Pug. Right, Lula loves Noi 2. <laughs> so... Now that we know the trajectory of the three records, it's kind of interesting when you see what progressed from the first record to the third record. It takes on a new, takes on a new life, kind of. Right, and I think we
1: both spent some time exploring these personalities and how they fit together, how they didn't fit together, didn't maybe fit in together. the end, <laughs> and what resulted from that. So maybe we just jump right in. So Noi, really, just two people in the band, Klaus Dinger on the drums, Michael Rota on guitar. Really basically just a studio band. They didn't tour much at all. I actually heard on a podcast interview today Michael Rota say that they did seven tour dates in 72 and it just didn't work.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I read about that too and I and I think that they tried maybe two or three dates after Noi 2 came out and it was the same thing. I think ultimately they just couldn't get enough musicians to recreate the sounds the way they wanted them to sound live. <laughs> and so they just scrapped it. Right. And there's probably some personality things in there too.
1: <laughs> it sounds like they might not have enjoyed being on tour together. So that might've been okay. another reason not to pursue it. So they're in the studio with Connie Plank, legendary Krat rock producer and sound legendary engineer, responsible for a ton of bands output. But definitely I think did a, a lot of work to make the kind of layered and right the depth of sound that we hear on these records. So Dinger and Rota were originally at Kraftwerk and they ended up leaving to form noise. So apparently Dinger played some drums on Kraftwerk's first LP. And if you go to YouTube, that rock palast. YouTube video that I'm fascinated with (laughs) where they're playing the flute and the drums. That's Dinger on the drums with Florian Schneider and Rolf Hütter from Kraftwerk. And then there's another one that I don't know if I sent you. Also, they're performing under the Kraftwerk brand in 1971 on German TV. And it's Dinger on drums, Rota on guitar, and then Florian's there. And they sound a lot more like Noi than they do Kraftwerk there.
0: I don't think I've watched that one. It's fun
1: to watch. I'll send it to you. Florian's like twiddling synth knobs and playing the flute at the same time. <laughs> he's like trying to basically like mix the thing while he's playing. It's, it's fun. Julian Cope <laughs> actually writes about this in his book. And he's talking about this very performance. And here's what he says about it. Neu was born in a royal shitstorm, live on German TV on a bizarre night in August 1971. And in true keeping with their convoluted history soon to come, that incredible 11-minute performance on Beat Club, including delicate and chillingly beautiful snatches of their forthcoming classics Im Gluck and Weissensee, was not even played under the banner of Neu, but of Kraftwerk. So, definitely early inklings of noy. But interestingly, being played live, in a way that they weren't able to do. It sounds like later on in their mm-hmm. careers, once they formalized the duo.
0: Maybe they needed the flute to come back.
1: <laughs> Who doesn't, right? I mean,
0: maybe it's the flute that just brings the band together. I don't know. If
1: there's anything really missing from the noy album, it's just that last
0: a hint of a flute, flute track, right? <laughs>
1: According to Julian Cope, it was Rota, Dinger, and Florian Schneider only because Ralph Hutter had freaked out and left the group before the show. Rota told Red Bull Music just that Hutter had only decided that he wanted to go back to school during that period of time. So they made a run at going into the studio and recording this stuff. They had to scrap it. According to Rota, they were fighting all the time. He said Florian and Klaus were two, two strong personalities to be in a room with. So he took one of those strong personalities, Dinger, and then they went off and formed Noy. Noi. probably best for everybody actually because Kraftwerk went its way Noi went its way mm-hmm.
0: and then we got a lot of other bands beyond that right Dinger went on to form Le Dusseldorf which I love yeah Rotor was in Harmonia he was in Cluster for a while
1: I think he did some stuff with Brian Eno who was really so. those mm-hmm. bands so yeah definitely a lot of production from these guys but we're here to talk about just Noi right
0: Yes, just noise. But That's I think it's interesting, you know, as we kind of look at the path that all those guys took and all those different bands, right? It's like a bunch of other kraut rock bands spawned out of Kraftwerk, ultimately, right? There's the <laughs> family tree there of different right. bands, as opposed to Amandul, who we talked about in episode one, who is still in their commune. <laughs> so like, right. they were just Amandul, like, they didn't, intermingle with any of these other groups it doesn't seem like
1: they seem like people gravitated to them right like they were (laughs) convergent and (laughs) the Kraftwerk tree is divergent they just kept breaking (laughs) up into
0: into other clusters (laughs) right right literally other clusters (laughs) literally
1: (laughs) so by all accounts these two really struggled to get along Mm -hmm. two very different personalities and you can just kind of tell from the traces they've left you know in the media and on the internet I've watched a couple of interviews with Rota, who seems to do the rounds in terms of talking about Krautrock, talking about Noi and Harmonia. And he's affable and he's just very gentle and soft and kind mm-hmm. of understated. This seems like a lovely person. He to, does. want to spend time with. By contrast, Klaus Dinger. <laughs> so, so the note I have on him is that he published a book in 2012, and the cover is flat white, like the Noi albums, with the words, Ihr könnt mich mal am Arsch written in pink marker which means you all can lick my ass.
0: <laughs> that pretty much sums up his entire existence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: and it's maybe the hook where he, right Johnny Rotten says he was into Noi and that Noi was an inspiration to him. I think it was probably a little more Dinger than Rota mm-hmm. that he was interested in.
0: Mm-hmm. And Dinger's, I mean, I guess when you, th- I mean, he's, such an incredible drummer and i i don't know if it's just that personality just like comes through that punk rock there's a lot of songs particularly on noise 75 that really have that harder punk edge to them that you figure it's 75 it then leads into the punk movement starts in like 76 so it really is the precursor to punk rock in a way
1: right it's interesting because and we'll talk about the sound right it's very mechanical and organic at the same time, mm-hmm. right? It's by contrast to Kraftwerk where they want you to think it's machines making it. And there's yes. even when they play the robots on stage, they <laughs> put out animatronic versions of themselves that are playing it. <laughs> yes. Right. So that conceit is there. Like with this, it's very futuristic and mechanical and driving, but you still, you know, that that's an actual drummer playing. Yeah. That beat.
0: Yeah. I wrote something down. That I read, I think maybe on a, pitchfork review and the writer had wrote it's like listening to the past and hearing so much of the future and once again it's like there's several songs that when you listen to them you're like gosh i mean this could be sonic youth or radiohead or there's just so much that they did that points to bands we listen to today it's interesting
1: and it feels like they're outside of time right yes yeah you hear a song and you can name the decade instantly for the most part right yeah yeah even when, you know, a 90s band is ripping off a 70s band, you know it's a 90s band. This seems so divorced from everything that came before it. You know, a lot of it, and we've already talked about, right, Johnny Rotten, Brian Eno, David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Stereo yeah. Lab probably comes the closest to sounding mm-hmm. like Noi.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: And Sonic Youth claims them as an influence. But all those bands, like, they don't sound like Noi. Like, they borrowed things. They right? borrowed
0: things. Like I always think Sonic Youth with Noi just because of the way Sonic Youth would manipulate their instruments to get different sounds out of them. You know, they would drill holes in guitars and like do weird things to their instruments to just try right. to extract the most bizarre sound they could out of it. And I feel like that's a lot of what's happening in Noi to some degree.
1: That kind of avant-garde. I remember Thurston Moore jamming a drumstick under his strings. Yeah. <laughs> the show that I saw just like... Yeah. With it. Yeah. Yeah. It really is a distinctive sound that sounds, well, you said it, it sounds like the future as seen from the past, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And in that yeah. sense, it doesn't sound like now and it doesn't sound like then.
0: And I mean, they were true to krautrock. rock. I mean, these bands didn't want to sound like American rock or British rock. They wanted to be their own sound. And so I think that feeds into it too, about why you just can't pinpoint a decade to it. It's just, it truly is its own sound.
1: Right. And Rota said, we talked about this last week, that a lot of these bands were about stripping out the blues from rock Mm -hmm, and seeing mm -hmm. what was left. He said exactly that in one of the interviews I listened to. He wanted to steer away from Anglo-American structures based on the blues. Make something completely new.
0: And Dinger said something similar in an interview I read with him. It's like they were really just trying to divorce themselves from anything that sounded even remotely like any of those other types of rock
1: right that strikes me as very different from the amandul 2 record that we listened to right which is very much a document of the moment of the 70s right a culmination of everything that came before it
0: that has a much more psychedelic feel to it i think overall whereas Noi is much more futuristic experimental and it's literally guitar and drums in, in right. a bass, in a bass here and there. <laughs> but right. It's mainly and, just guitar and drums.
1: <laughs> and a ton of studio effects mm-hmm. and production elements that Connie Plank provided that really makes these studio recordings jump, but probably at the same time made it impossible for Noy to render these songs live in anything close to the same form. Although you sent some links to more recent Rota performances where he's playing Noi, and it sounded really good. It sounded
0: really good. So apparently he found the right studio musicians (laughs) to be able to pull off the sounds that they wanted, that they couldn't figure out before.
1: It might just be technology too, right? 40 years later, you can take stuff on the road. One of the things that seems to recur in a lot of the articles I'm reading or the interviews and the quotes is that they attribute, they meaning critics and the band members I think attribute their sound to the conflict between of the two natures of these two men Mm -hmm. right this gentle soul who wants to make beautiful ambient music and this ardent almost revolutionary in your face personality
0: and when you know that and you listen back to the records you have that push and pull through all three records
1: yeah (laughs) I mean it really
0: is this juxtaposition of both of their styles and it just it works (laughs) but it is this weird journey that you go on and and I hated to be like cliche and be like there's so much storytelling in this but it is to a degree right they are they're storytellers in their own way you can tell maybe who was more dominant on a track versus someone else right Right. if it's a more ambient track and there's more kind of melody weaved in there it's definitely rotor is the main driving force behind it And the more just straight rock, lots of percussion, that motoric beat. Yeah, just, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. is definitely (laughs) Dinger. It's just interesting when you kind of read more about them and their personalities and what they gravitated towards musically, than how that kind of came together makes those albums, I think, a lot more interesting to listen to.
1: It reminds me a little bit of the Lennon-McCartney relationship, right? Mm-hmm. In, in the same way that you can listen to a song and you go, oh, that's a McCartney song. Yeah. And that's a Lennon song. But when they're at their best, it's when maybe you couldn't tell right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Agreed. Do we make the Oasis argument that you can tell a Liam song versus a Noel song? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So where do you come down to that, by the way? I'm always a Noel girl. Yeah. So I love I... Liam's rebellion, but I love Noel songs better. Yeah. I, I think
1: just like these guys, just like Lennon McCarthy, they needed to be with each other both to compliment each other and to hold each other back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And by the end, I think, of this relationship, they were far enough apart that on Noise 75, their third album, right, they had essentially two different identities. There's the side mm-hmm. A, Rota, and then there's yeah. side B, which is all dinger, as far as yeah. you can tell. And to the point where he stopped playing the drums and became the guitarist and vocalist and brought it's... his brother in to play the drums.
0: yeah. I think at that point they were contractually I mean this is like my deduction from what I've read they were contractually obligated to make a third record (laughs) and they I don't really think they wanted to but they had to and that's what happened so that's why it's a little disparate in that you've got definitely the rotor side and the dinger side but it still works I also think it's interesting I think it's better sequenced in the 1001 album podcast guys talked about this the rotor side, the more ambient tracks are first. Right. Versus the more hard-hitting tracks.
1: No, Absolutely, yeah.
0: Being the first, if you had started with those and then went into the more ambient tracks, the album just wouldn't be as strong.
1: No, right. I, I love hearing those early tracks. Gets you in a particular kind of mood. Yeah. you. And then it's... Dun, dun, and dun, then nah, it just nah, like, nah, jars like, you, you into yeah. the next. absolutely right i was listening to that on a plane i was going to fly into columbus a couple months ago i'm looking out across the sky and the sun's setting and i'm listening to side a right and then we start our descent and like hero comes on yeah yeah this is good this is this is perfectly timed so and
0: a lot of their songs have a very like Again, which I think is kind of a part of Krat Rock, right? They have like a cinematic quality to them to a degree. Like it almost feels like landscapes to a certain extent with the sounds that you're hearing. And I think the motoric beat really has a, plays a big part of that. But
1: Right. Like, on a couple of these albums, on Noi 2 and Noi 75, this, a song will end and you'll hear waves breaking. Or you'll hear yeah. water moving. A
0: lot of waves breaking. Yeah. On the first two records, for sure.
1: Yeah, I've seen in at least two Rota interviews, he, he likes to talk about rivers. He just starts spontaneously talking about rivers. I grew up near rivers, so of course I like music, you know? And, <gasps> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, right, elaborate. And then he describes, right, he, he described in a interview with Red Bull, Red Bull Music. I've not heard of that before, yeah. but okay, I'll allow it. <laughs>
0: You can allow it. It's a thing.
1: (laughs) He said, music that runs forward has no ending aimed at the horizon or beyond. And I thought, okay, he's trying to replicate what a river does with the music.
0: And you can see that. I think that's part of the allure. I think if you just listen to these albums and you're not really into this music, I just think you need to read some of the history and read about these two men and kind of the headspace that they were in when they were creating the music. And then it gives so much more context to what you're hearing because you can definitely hear the river reference. Like when you listen to that and hear him talk about that, you could just hear it in the music then.
1: Right. It is, Even in is this, There's just a forward movement mm-hmm. all the time.
0: There's always a forward movement. Right. I think when I started listening when I was really listening because I knew we were talking about Noi 2 for this podcast it's like right from the gate you just feel like you're like on a train ride <laughs> it's like I'm in a right. train speeding down the European countryside <laughs> like it right. just has this vibe to it <laughs> right like
1: forward into the future and it is mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's a horizon ahead of you right and you're yeah. just, just blitzing toward it and it feels good
0: mm-hmm. it does
1: let's talk about motoric or Motorik. I think it's Motorik.
0: I don't know. We keep saying Motorik, but.
1: Let's go with that. Let's just go with it. <laughs> yeah. So Motorik's the signature drum beat here. It's a 4 4 beat with the bass drum played on all the eighth notes except on the two count, right? When you play the snare. Mm-hmm. So it's boom, boom, shh, boom, boom, boom. Shh. Which, by the way, I try to go do downstairs. I like bought a new kick pedal a year ago. <laughs> I cannot get it adjusted right. And I think maybe it's just because I'm old and my legs are weak and tired. <laughs> that like I can sit down and I can play a Sabbath song and I can be really proud of myself. And then I try to do the flat Klaus Dinger Motorik beat and I, I just crap out. <laughs> like three bars in. So oh you gosh. really actually do appreciate that it's simple, but it's, it's hard. It's mm-hmm. metronomic. I was reading about it and it said that Jackie Liebeside of Cannes invented it. And I was like, really? First of all, like, how hard I is it to I, invent that?
0: Yeah, I thought I read that Klaus Dinger was the, well, maybe he's the self-proclaimed.
1: <laughs> oh, he'll tell you he invented it for sure.
0: <laughs> Actually, I think he said that, so. <laughs> oh, there you go. I,
1: I hadn't heard it in any of the can that I'd listened to, but just last weekend, I was driving down to McDonald's to get my Diet Coke because that's one of the three places I go. And I was playing Monster Movie, their first LP, for the first time. And right on the first track, which is called Father Cannot Yell. (laughs) You hear Motorik there. But so fine, I guess, right, that was 68 or 69. Yeah. I think it was 69. But Klaus Dinger definitely took hold of this Mm -hmm. and wrung every last bit out of it that he could.
0: For sure. I mean, I think it's this true signature of Noi on all three records.
1: Right, you hear it straight up on Hallow first track of mm-hmm. Noi, first Noi album. Yep. You hear it all the way to the end of Noi 75. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, Dinger, I read an interview he gave it like six names, but was clearly trying not to call it Motorik for yeah. some reason.
0: Yes, Motorik was not one of the six.
1: Right. <laughs> on each of these three albums, there are certain tracks that you call their own cliche, also because there is what some call Hammerbeat, or I call Apache. Or however some call Dingerbeat. There you go. <laughs> right. So some people credit him. He wants you to know. Or maybe Noybeat, but he never calls it Motorik. Mm-mm. Just everybody else does. So I, I read something earlier today that he worked for an advertising company.
0: So I read that he had an advertising company. Oh. But again, this was him speaking. So <laughs> he count it by 30%? The, right. The interviewer asked about the origin of the name Noy and i mean he had said it was just a popular advertising word it was always up in all the windows in the shops and apparently was the most popular word in advertising at the time so that's why he decided to call it that right but then through that conversation he said that he had his own advertising agency because somehow that's how he could book studio time he was booking studio time under the guise that he was Uh, using it for advertising agency projects
1: right I'm gonna record a jingle, but in fact, I'm gonna record. I'm
0: gonna record this Noi album.
1: Right, right, awesome. I feel like he was his own advertising agency. Mm-hmm.
0: I think so. I think he was his own client. And so
1: this was just another instance of brand management.
0: Correct. Some people call
1: it Dingerbeat. I can't name any names, but a lot of people are talking about Dingerbeats. Yes.
0: yes, he was his own brand manager. <laughs> He's doing a great job at it. Right.
1: <laughs> Iggy Pop says about him in, I think this was the BBC, Crot Rock Mm. documentary that we watched. The drummer was playing in a, a way that when you listen to it, allowed your thoughts to flow, allowed emotions to come from within and occupy the active parts of your mind, I thought. Uh, It allowed beauty. To get there, the guy has somehow found a way to free himself from the tyranny of stupid blues, rock, of all conventions that I'd ever heard. Some sort of a
0: pastoral psychedelicism. That's a good pop on this. I mean, that's a good way to describe it. It's a more eloquent way to describe what we've been saying,
1: right? Do we want to just jump in and talk about? Or we just talk about the album covers? Let's talk quickly about the album covers. Yeah. Basically, it's just a flat square with the word "noise" splashed across it. Mm-hmm. Look at our logo and see if you can guess what we modeled it after.
0: I mean, it's clean. <laughs> It's, you know what right. it is <laughs>
1: right it's stark it is right there no subtlety to it
0: nope
1: first noi album white with noise splashed over it in red Noy two same thing but with a two sprayed over the lettering in mm-hmm. hot pink and then Noy 75 this is white letters over black julian cope says at a time of roger dean's yes sleeves and their ill cluttered full of space junk mythical animals and members of ugly groups cast as supermen in some prehistoric void Noise artwork was speed freak clean. I, I love Julian Cope.
0: <laughs> yes, that's amazing.
1: <laughs> I need to just read that book straight through right now. I'm just dipping in to like grab yeah. quotes out, but they're all there, right?
0: I think the starkness of those album covers, like what Julian Cope is saying <laughs> during that time frame, right? We're talking like seventy two to seventy five. You have all these like crazy album covers, like Led Zeppelin covers, and even some of the Beatles covers. There's just a lot happening. All those psychedelic bands had these right. real, like, and trippy, hippie yeah. album covers that there's, like, way too much going on. So this was definitely the polar opposite of right. all of that.
1: Wolfgang Krischke swinging a scythe <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. on his way to his doom.
0: I mean, but even that is more, is less busy than some of the other albums from the 70s. So. Yeah, you're right. That had color blocking. Right. It was still no, very right. like artistic and how it was <laughs> <laughs> done. Right.
1: <clears throat> and this is why we can say to ourselves, we're not listening to Prague.
0: Right? No, we are not listening to Prague.
1: Certainly not now. Mm-mm. If we call this Prague Rock, Klaus dinger who died, I think, a few years ago, would nevertheless show up on one or the other of our doorsteps. Yes and start smacking us around
0: Mm -hmm, for sure no this is definitely not prog rock
1: do we want to talk about noi 2 yes jump into noi Mm 2 awesome all right let's do that
0: 2 comes around and I think what's of interest here is the remixing of two of the singles and it's kind of touted as is this maybe one of the original remix albums right? (laughs) but it stemmed out of the band taking their advance buying some new equipment and then not having enough money to finish the rest of the record (laughs) (laughs) the record company did not give them any more money because The first album didn't sell very well, so they already didn't really have a good track record coming out of the gate, so they wouldn't advance them any more money. So this was kind of noise middle finger to the record company. Like, great, we're just going to take two songs we already have and just remix them. They sped them up and slowed them down, and that's what makes up the second side of this album.
1: They had one day, I guess, and they had one day, and they had these two tracks that they'd recorded, Noyeshne. And super, super. So they just took them and beat them up into six different versions. And
0: the first time I listened to this without looking at the song title names, I was like, Is this song playing in reverse? And it sped up (laughs) like, What's like, I didn't really. And then I saw that I went and looked at the track list and I was like, Oh, 78. Yes, it is sped up. 16. Okay, yep, that's what's happening. Right. Right.
1: (laughs) Do you think they landed the plane here? Mm -hmm. Is it a cop out? Or is it genius? Or is it some mix of the two?
0: I think it's a mix of the two, honestly. I mean, look, it's noisy and it's weird. But it, as you keep listening to it, and I think the key is you have to listen to it in headphones. You need that kind of sonic experience with what's happening from the left right. side to the right side to really appreciate what's happening. I don't know. I kind of dig it. The more I listen to it, yeah. the more I like it.
1: I um, I guess I'm trying to hold both notions in my mind, which is that maybe this isn't really a whole album. But even if it isn't, I'm playing it all the way through and I'm loving it. So do I need to care too much about whether three of the songs are just the same song played at different speeds?
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. I, well, it just kind of works. This kind of gets back to my storytelling comment earlier. It does kind of work as a story in a way. It's And maybe I'm just deducing too much after having listened to it like over and over again (laughs) the past two weeks or so. But I don't know. I dig it. I think it works the way they sequenced the sped up songs versus the slowed down songs. And then they waited to put Super, for instance, the normal (laughs) speed is the very last song. No, yeah. There's a genius to that, Mm -hmm. which is that you... A lot of
1: people may have heard these songs before. So Neuschne and Super were like a double A side that got released yeah. prior to recording Noi 2, which is why they had it on hand when they needed it. But to hear Neuschnee 78 and then Neuschnee, or to hear Super 78, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's great. Like at that speed. Yeah. And then and then you hear Super and you're like, oh, that's that's what they sped up. And it's standing on its own. It's a great song. Mm-hmm. But there was a genius to putting the faster versions... Yeah,
0: I think so too. And did you know that Super 16 is on the Kill Bill Volume 1 soundtrack?
1: So where does that play? Do you know? I mean, I I, don't
0: know where it plays. I saw a note about it today and I was like, oh. And then when I was listening to it, I thought this could see this working within. Then I went to the Kill Bill soundtrack and it was in there, but it was sequenced towards the end.
1: I have the Kill Bill soundtrack, so I must have had that song for years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Cause I gotta go watch the movie and see where that mm-hmm. comes up, cause that's, that's just kind of a stomping slow. As far as I can tell, they used a turntable to do the accelerated versions, and they used the tape to do the the slowdown. Because mm-hmm. you're not gonna have a turntable that turns at 16, so it's this yeah. weird kind of warped and distorted, right? <laughs> as, they, as they run it through the tape.
0: They would manipulate the record players too, so they would change how the record was sitting on the player, so that it gave it this warpy, weird, distorted right. sound when it was sped up. Rota
1: said on Sound Opinions that there's a part where the record skips, and it's because Dinger just went up and kicked the turntable
0: <laughs> while well, they were
1: doing. And
0: well, no shock there.
1: <laughs> yeah, not at all. He was he was a radical. Yeah, by now we know. We know the. I've been ordering these on vinyl. So like three weeks ago, I ordered Noi, well, the original Noi. And just last week, Noi 2 came and I'm waiting now on Noi 75. When I put on Noi 2, which I'd heard a million times on CD, it skips, right? And and I was like, did I get a bum record? And so then I had to go to the digital version and play it. And then I realized that it skips there too. And I'm thinking, everybody bought that record. Was that in
0: Cassetto? um, Because I think that's the one I feel like... i I actually wrote a note i was like did the tape break (laughs) because i think it keeps like which there was a point where that actually did happen it is the sound of the tape breaking at the end Uh, i don't know if it's cassetto or if it's hallow eccentrico yeah
1: yeah um, this was Neuschnee 78, so it's playing on the turntable, and you hear the needle scratch. And I look down, and I'm wondering how many people bought that album <laughs> and thought, "Well, what? It's skipping. I just bought this, and it's skipping because Klaus Dinger had kicked the turntable that they were recording onto a record. It's like it's so meta,
0: right? It really is. prankster i love lila Engel. To is probably my favorite track on this record that's the one that's just like a banger like the guitars come in at the end it has like a my bloody valentine kind of vibe to it by the end it's
1: a little buzz sawy and there's this kind of grunting i don't there's no audible i mean there's definitely vocals but no lyrics yeah
0: right yeah
1: sent that to the text thread
0: yeah i still don't think they listened listen
1: to it <laughs> yeah. yeah we should have an episode where carla and brad talk about mark and bob <laughs> and why they should listen to Crown Rock. <laughs> why
0: they need to listen to crowd rock yes yeah
1: you sent that with such a wave of praise for it i was right? like I was this is the one guys
0: this is the one right this sounds like all the stuff we listen to now <laughs> nothing silence
1: yeah <laughs> the four more conventional songs on here for immer mm-hmm. super noise and lila Engel. every one of those songs is just stunningly good they really are and for immer and noise are definitely more rota they're more just beautiful yes. sounds mm-hmm. extracted from guitars yeah those two are very different from each other. for immer is the how long is that it's, it's like, like 11 minutes, minutes. Yeah, yeah it's
0: like almost 12 minutes it's the longest track on the record
1: right first track one of the guys on sound opinion said the motoric beat is like the dotted white line coming at you when you're driving down the road, which I thought was such a great, it landed so perfectly with me. Yeah. I was riding my bike when I was listening to it and yeah, I was like, that, that's exactly what it is. And I feel like I'm driving through weather, right? Cause there's these waves of yes. guitar that come and go different layers. Sometimes it's just a quick squall. Other times it lasts and then it fades away and then you get just the beat again.
0: This was the song that I like I made the note. where I was like, oh, I want to be on a train in the European countryside. You just feel like you're on the track and you're just seeing all these beautiful landscapes. And then the water, the waves start crashing kind of at the end. Yeah. listen to the whole way it's again it's one of those things you need to listen to it the whole way through because there is just such a progression in what happens through the whole song
1: i sent it to same friend that i sent Duel to pink floyd friend mm-hmm. we'll call him glenn for no other reason <laughs> than that that's his name <laughs> nothing for a few days and then i get this text in the middle of the day it says i could listen to for immer for immer I was like, Yeah, right? Yes. You could. Yeah. It's eleven minutes, but you're never like looking at your you know, you're never looking at your watch. You're never like Mm-mm bring on the next one.
0: And I feel like I gravitate toward a different part of it every time I listen to it. There's just something about it that you just hear more and more. I mean, I think the genre in general just lends itself to repeated listenings because you just start to hear more things. But that track in particular, you just hear different stuff the more you listen to it.
1: It never becomes rote, right? Mm -hmm. So I Am The Resurrection is like a nine-minute song. I know every note to that song and have known every note to that song (laughs) since three weeks after i bought the stone roses album in <laughs> 1989 right mm-hmm. yep by contrast i could listen to forever a hundred times and because it's so varied, and because it's textures and layers i'm not going to have that same i can pick out every note drum beat right yeah every drum yeah. fill Yep. and so right it's just just put it on endless repeat if you want
0: That track in particular, too, is also one where there's a lot of critics who say that that song in particular defines the genre. I read a few things where that's the track.
1: That's good. Boiled down all of Rock to mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I'll take it, right? If they say yeah. walk away from this with one song.
0: <laughs> I think that's the one.
1: Yeah. Well, you take 11 minutes because, right? Right. <laughs> you got to get, get <laughs> as much as you on. can for the price. <laughs> that's right. And Yeah. The only other one I might think of is like Hallelujah by not but, I can't, but I, it's just different.
0: The other uh, song, well, Hallo Gallo was on the first record, which is really phenomenal. But yeah. Halo Eccentrico was a super interesting headphone mix. It's like everything is backwards which I didn't know the first probably five times I was just listening to it on my laptop or like even in the car. You don't get the same sonic effect that way as you do when you listen to it in your headphones. And then there was a part of me that was like, is this Hallow Gallo in reverse? (laughs) But I don't think it's the same song.
1: So that's what I was going to ask you was, I thought it might be "Halo Gallo, and I went online and I typed "Halo Gallo, Halo Eccentrico into the internet, and I thought I would get something that would tell me about a relationship between the two, and I got nothing. And the more I listened to it, like, if you can sift through the distortion, warping of the tape and everything, I think it's Noisne. I think it's the Noisne riff. And I I either am able to say that because that riff has been in my head for the last 18 months, or... I have to say that because that's the riff that's been in my head for <laughs> a few months and I don't hear anything else anymore. I actually went to my um, play count, and I don't know what the start date is for the play count on Apple Music or iTunes or whatever yeah. it is, but when we did the first Mixtape Diaries episode, I picked the P.S. Eliot song because it had the highest play count. Mm-hmm. turns out Noy has the second highest play count. <laughs> so it's right up there. And a lot of that's maybe just me sitting down in the, my basement trying to do the Motorik beat, <laughs> and my restless leg syndrome is
0: right.
1: causing me to fail. <laughs> so yeah, I, th- I think it's Neuschne, but so, so next question, I guess I want to ask you is those four tracks played at regular speed are enough for me to declare this right a top 10 album, maybe for me. Same. There's the kind of weird stuff in between the connective tissue, mm-hmm. right? Is that filler for you or is it interesting enough? I mean some, maybe some more than others.
0: I think some more than others there's, one in particular, I actually think it's the second track. I can't pronounce that word. Spitz Sp-
1: qualite. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can't <laughs> pronounce that, but I think that one is, it's just noise. It's a relatively short track, but overall, I just, the first few times through, I think those songs were kind of filler to me, but then the more I read about the band and read about this record than the more kind of vested i got into what was happening in those other songs which right they work as a whole to me now i think versus yeah, I, just kind of being more filler
1: i definitely feel some more than others that second track i said the name once i'm not gonna try yeah. to do it again it's just they've got some kind of tape and they're slowing it down slowing it down slowing it right mm-hmm. to the probably i, I don't I, I couldn't tell you what fraction of the speed but it gets slower and slower and each drum beat then becomes this massive kind of open and exploded pulse that you hear over a period of a second or a second and a half as opposed to just the thump of a bass drum. interesting and probably for that time would have been something that you hadn't heard before Mm -hmm. so okay i see what they're doing kind of cool
0: that's the only track for me because you come out of fear Immer, which is just this beautiful 11 minute track right and then you go right into that and it's it is a jarring (laughs) juxtaposition of what you're listening to
1: right i hadn't thought of it that way but yeah you're being propelled through 11 minutes of just straight beat and then there's this grinding down and it's through. a
0: grind like yeah. it's truly a grind so they're challenging us mm-hmm. which i think was the point because right. again this was the middle finger to the record company so they didn't really <laughs> care either right
1: and in the Rota interview that i was listening to today it was dinger was all about the middle finger to everybody every right? when you listen to everybody hero it's everybody. everybody
0: mm-hmm everybody which,
1: In 1975, by the way, pretty gutsy to sing, just go through a litany of everybody. (laughs) 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 But Rhodes' sensibility seemed to be very different. It was like, I I didn't expect to make money. I didn't expect to be a star. I wanted to do something interesting. And so I'm just going to do something interesting. If the record company doesn't like it, fires us, I'll find find something else to do. Yeah,
0: yeah. They both had such different ways that they looked at the industry. And I think... The more I read about Dinger, I feel like he was just throwing everything at the wall to, like, see what would stick, ultimately. And he produced a band called Lila Engel. Did you read about this? No. uh So he produced this band. He named them, of course. And he named them Lila Engel, like like the song. Right. And the record label was like, we don't want this. So he tried to produce it on his own record label, but then he probably couldn't get distribution for it because... They were like, this isn't going to sell. And so he had 5,000 copies of these records. Ultimately, he went bankrupt because of that, because he couldn't get anybody to distribute it. <laughs> so, right. so that happened in between this NOI 2 record and NOI 75. And then they had to put NOI 75 together.
1: To get out of the hole?
0: hmm But it yeah. didn't get them out of the hole.
1: Right. Should have.
0: They just had to do it, because they had to produce a third record. The record company was like, We've given you money for three Noi albums, not for right. you to start producing other bands <laughs> and try to produce their records. <laughs> so, right. In the meantime, Michael Rota apparently had gone out into
1: the countryside to whatever country house the cluster mm-hmm. people lived in. Yeah. And he says he was recruiting them to be in the backing band for when Noi toured the UK. They were going to make another run at trying to tour. And, he goes over there and he's talking to them about it. And Dinger shows up and he's all pissed off that Rhoda's talking to Cluster. And they're on their way to forming Harmonia. And so the whole notion of the four of them working together fell through because Dinger was hanging around pissing off everybody's girlfriend, according to Rhoda.
0: Well, um, Dinger literally says in this article transcript that he did not like Cluster. So this all makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> He says he didn't like Can or Cluster and I was like, Oh, he must have had a beef with all of them. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> that he carried on through two thousand eight or whatever that whatever that or two thousand one.
1: <laughs> and whereas is forming harmonia with cluster, he's doing solo albums with Jackie Lebezite from Can and saying diplomatic things like Jackie is one of my two favorite drummers. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I will say La Dusseldorf. At least the Viva album, which is the one that I've mm-hmm. played and now bought and love. That's Dinger, and it, it's not what you'd expect from Dinger. If he was following the trajectory of Lila Engel on the second album, Hero on the third album, fuck everybody, yeah. right? Punk rock. Mm-hmm. Cuts off all his hair, spikes it up. And La Dusseldorf sounds like Noy. Or it sounds more like the Rota kind of Noy, but with more beat to it. Yeah. interesting because i thought all right so now it's 1977 78 you've got all the license in the world to be cut and loose Mm -hmm. in a punk rock kind of mode and he he didn't choose to do that
0: no no that is interesting and he chose to kind of stay in that same lane but then also there were some legal issues and i didn't catch all of this in the article i was reading but there were some legal things happening with some of the old Kraftwerk guys and Noi, like he couldn't use Noi. He couldn't use another band name for a while. Then he tried to create that La Noi. Like <laughs> right side thing. Okay. Yeah. And I
1: did see that, to, but I didn't know what that was. To
0: try okay. to like circumvent the system so that he could still play the old Noi songs. There, there was a lot for someone who seemed like he didn't want to be in Noi. He, Kind of went through a lot of hoops to still be able to play the noise songs
1: right although he had a ton of street cred for having been Noy, right i mean mm-hmm. brian eno david bowie yeah john lyden everyone's claiming you not just as an influence but saying right you were one of the most important bands of of the decade yeah and if you've walked away from that or if it hasn't worked out still like why wouldn't you hang on to it yeah kind of a strange tweener space to be in i guess
0: Yeah, I was reading this transcript from an interview he did with the journalist for The Wire, and it goes into detail about that whole legal thing, but it was a lot. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) These two quotes, I think, are great to put next to each other. The first one is Rota. The problems Klaus and I have with one another cannot be separated from our music. We have such completely different personalities. The actual mystery is how we were able to do the three albums together at all. Our opposing characters sometimes led to great friction, crazy struggles and contradictions in our music. This is what made Noy so special. Now here's Dinger. A few words on Noy. After all, Michael is just and always has been a free rider on my ideas, inventions, total devotion, passion, risk-taking, etc. He's also a brilliant guitarist, of course, but Noy is much more than that. So there you go. I mean, that sums
0: up the personalities. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right.
1: But together, right, you had order and chaos and light and darkness and Mm -hmm. beauty and aggression
0: which is what all their records sound like
1: yeah absolutely i
0: mean i think it's why it works ultimately i think we need to um to end or say that quote from the facts that he sent the journalist about bill gates and benjamin netanyahu
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) we'll save that to the end because that should be our last word what more do we want to is there anything more you want to say really Um, I don't think so I want to make one observation which is They use Wawa pedals in a way That I've never These are the least funky Wawa pedals you will ever hear Are the (laughs) Wawa's on Hallow Gallo And on Super
0: Mm, Yeah that's a good point
1: right it's almost like we're going to take the psychedelic rock right the hip shaking rock and we're going to just we're going to smoosh those tropes into something that is so not what they're for yeah. right yeah like screw you all <laughs> yeah love that
0: I never thought about that, but you're so right. And during a time when psychedelic bands were loving that wah wah battle. Right, <laughs> so for right. them to really kind of take it and just almost strip it down in a really interesting way is. It's
1: like rhythm guitar wah wah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. The
1: only other observation I want to make is our, our intro outro music is Johnny on Dialine by Stereolab, which I think we picked first because. We know they're Marxists and are unlikely to sue us for copyright infringement. That's right. <laughs> Second, because who are they to sue anyone for copyright infringement? Because this is "Halo Gallo," <laughs> the
0: song. It is "Halo Gallo," <laughs> right? So you're so right.
1: I thought I liked Stereolab's version better, but now I think maybe I kind of like "Halo
0: Gallo" better. I don't know. I really like "Halo Gallo." I've listened to that a bunch the past couple of days. I was like, man, this is really good. And that was really their one true single.
1: I don't think that was really, a single?
0: Yeah. I wow. don't know that "Hallo Gallo... Well, it must have charted, because I have a note that says it was considered a radio hit. So it must have charted somewhere, I think in the UK. But it wasn't enough for the record company to give right. them more of an advance on the second album. <laughs> so it must have not done that well. Right.
1: <laughs> well, I wonder what their advance was. You could imagine them blowing thousands of dollars making for Immer. Yeah. And then being like, this is perfect. How much yeah. we got left?
0: <laughs> Nothing.
1: <laughs> Nothing. I think maybe we've hit the wall with Noy. I think so. Do you want to read? You want to read the quote? Yes. We we, we want to close with this. What do we want to call it? Well, this the is gulp of juice from a
0: <laughs> Yes. So this was in a fax that he sent a journalist in 1998, and he closed it with this. I'm strictly against my music online. People like Bill Gates and Benjamin Netanyahu will ruin <laughs> mankind and the earth for quite a while. But, and then in quotes, it says, you can't sink a rainbow. You That's, can't sink a rainbow, Brad.
1: You can't sink a rainbow. It's true.
0: You can't sink a it's rainbow. <laughs> sink and, a rainbow. <laughs>
1: and 40 years later, this rainbow is still afloat.
0: <laughs> still floating along. Oh,
1: I love you. boy. I know. they yeah. are so great. All right. Well, until next time. This has been
0: Carla and Brad talk about Krautrock. Rock. i